Welcome back to 77 Minutes in Heaven, the Dallas Mavericks podcast as a part of the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Brian Damaris, former director of basketball development at the Mavs and co-host of the Mavs postgame show on Sports Radio 1310 The Ticket. And with me is good old Mark Followell. Good afternoon. Hello to everyone listening. Play voice of the Mavs and a guy I like to interrupt. It's quite all right. You know, I really should not have you interrupting, though, because today we come to you from Casa Followell, and you can't interrupt me when I'm at Casa Followell. You, you know, I've known you for 20 years, and you've never invited me to your home. So <laughs> It's a big day. You're coming to Followell Manor. How about that? <laughs> and let me tell you, folks, TV pays well. <laughs> Our little modest abode that is uh, still in the uh, process of tornado repair, but that's another story for another time. No, welcome. It's good to see you, and uh, good to talk about all the things we have to talk about in the world of the Mavericks right yes, now. Yes, and we're going to be with you guys weekly. And I uh, hope you listened to our last podcast. This is going to be, um, as usual, a review and preview. Um, but we're also going to do our trade deadline preview. The trade deadline is uh, 2 p.m. Thursday. I know you're probably listening to this. If this drops on Tuesday evening. Um, but we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, first, let's talk Luca because uh, since we last spoke, uh, he went down with another uh, sprained ankle. Yeah, very similar to the last injury. Stepped on somebody's foot late in the practice that the Mavs had last Thursday before heading out on this recent stretch where they played Houston on Friday night and then came back and played Atlanta. Uh, a back-to-back that they split over the weekend with a loss on the road to the Rockets and a home win against Atlanta. So... Uh, For those who have missed it, I can't imagine there's that many people at this point that have, but just for clarification purposes, a minimum of six games. They got unlucky on this one, Brian. Not the injury, the timing of the injury, because he got hurt a day before they started a stretch where they played six games in nine days. It doesn't seem that this injury is a lot different in terms of the nature of the injury and the significance of it and the time that it's going to have him out. It just so happens that they're entering, rather than playing four games in nine days like they did last time. They're playing six games in nine days before they even get to the stage where he might be able to practice and get back on the floor and reevaluate him. So a minimum of six games is what he's missing. Uh, Three of those have already occurred, of which the Mavs have won two. Yeah, so they're targeting Monday or Wednesday as a comeback. And, of course, Wednesday is the last game before the All-Star break. Yep. Uh, The All-Star game is very important to Luke. I mean, this is something that uh, even in training camp, you know, I had reports of him saying, you know, uh, scratch me off the Rising Stars list because I'm going to be playing in the regular game this year. And I think regardless, he won't be playing in the Rising Stars game, even though he's announced on that roster, which is Friday evening of that uh, weekend. Uh, but he really wants to play. And I think it's a good thing for him to play. Uh, we are in a player empowerment era. And because a lot of those guys develop those relationships, either in AAU or in Team USA, uh, Luca doesn't do either of those. So this is a time where He can develop relationships in the locker room. And not only that, but they can play with him on the same team for those people on his team. Mm -hmm. Uh, And tonight, the draft or Thursday, the draft is happening. So we'll figure out which team he's on. But um, it's good to develop those relationships so those guys play with him and go, wow, you know, this is really good. So um, it'll be interesting to see if he doesn't play Wednesday. um, You would assume that he would be healthy enough. It's kind of odd for him to play his first game back in the All-Star game. But you were saying, Rick, is okay with that yeah he was asked on friday night before the houston game just uh when he was giving his general luca health update and what his thoughts were and rick did say 
I'm I feel like that there is you know reason to believe that he will be back and will be healthy enough to participate in the festivities of All Star Weekend. And Rick alluded to how important it is not just for Luca but organizationally. And I do think there's a look. The Mavs have had. Two players, Jason Kidd in 1996 and Luca, be voted in as starters. Dirk started twice, but both times as an injury replacement. There is understandably a lot of excitement and pride about the fact that Luca is going to go represent the Mavericks as a starter in the All-Star game for whomever he's going to play, Team LeBron or Team Giannis. And I don't think that the Mavs would bat an eye. It's not the ideal scenario, but I don't think that they would bat an eye about it if the first game that he was able to play ended up being the All-Star game. Ideally, he plays Monday or Wednesday, Monday the 10th or Wednesday the 12th, to clarify. The home game on Monday the 10th is the Utah Jazz. The home game on Wednesday, February the 12th, is the Sacramento Kings. So ideally, Luka plays in one of those. But but the goal is, uh, you know, obviously the long term, but also there's certainly a realization that him being out on the all-star floor and on that stage is a big, big thing. And I think your point about developing relationships is something I hadn't really considered, and I think that's an outstanding point. And the good news is, of course, then, um, whether he plays Wednesday or not, the 12th, then it's another week and a half before there's another game, yep. so he would be fully healthy and ready to go by then. Yep. So he's not missing any more game time. Yep. At that point, they wouldn't uh, play again heat. until the 21st, Friday the 21st, on the road against the Orlando Magic. So we'll have to see. You know, obviously injuring the same ankle. You know, from what I understand, he, he wasn't rushed back, so it wasn't because he was rushed back that he re-injured it. You know, is he prone to these? I mean, Dirk had a bunch of them as well. Uh, the good news is it's only a couple of weeks, and um, you know we're in the dog days where there's plenty of time to to ramp up going forward. We'll talk about what the you know the next month looks like. Um, the good news out of this is that KP has really taken off. I mean, 38 and 35 points in his last two games. I really like that he's taken 25 free throws or mm-hmm. uh, attempted 25 free throws over the last two games. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's a part of me that, you know, it's a very silver lining. You obviously don't want Luca out, but the silver lining is that players are kind of reaching their full potential with him out of there. I like the fact not only taking those free throws, but making them. Yes. Uh, especially in the game against Indiana when he went 12 for 12 at the free throw line and hit a couple of big ones late to make sure that there was a significant amount of cushion for the Mavs to be able to bring that over the finish line against the Pacers. Because, look, he spent a lot of the season, Brian, in the high 60s and low 70s in terms of his free throw percentage. So taking them is great. Making them is even better. And the 12 free throws is a big reason why he had a 38-point game against Indiana on Monday night in a 112-103 win for the Mavs against the Pacers. And that's another road win. Just a, you know, a little look back at that. Uh, a, a really interesting thing happened with Porzingis when he came on the broadcast afterwards with Derek Harper and I. And that is that the first question I asked him, I wanted to ask about the team. I didn't want to ask him to focus on his individual performance, even though I think I certainly would have been well within my rights to ask him that, and he would have been well within his rights to talk about it. But how about his answer, which spent at least the first 10, 15, 20 seconds calling out his own defense for not doing well enough against DeMontis Sabonis? I I thought that was really interesting. I'm not sure I've ever interviewed a player after a 38-point performance before in the NBA, and the first thing he says was, well, I didn't play good enough defense. I think defense is something that's being stressed in practice. And I also, uh, and I, I believe that interview, is it on the Fox Sports Twitter? or Yeah, Fox Twitter? Sports Southwest Twitter. Yep. Uh, Mfollowell is your Twitter. B. Damaris is mine. Um, you can check us out there. Uh, what I really liked as well as the kind of, um, it, it, you know, be, picking apart his own game is that, you know, he he is very hard on himself. And mm-hmm. I think he even alluded in that interview, uh, maybe a little too hard in the early going, that he, he overthought and maybe... Uh, got a little, you know, tight 
in that he's he's now getting into more of a rhythm generally and so that's a good thing but i think part of what you saw in that answer that you referred to is that he is very critical of his game and very detail-oriented in how he plays it uh, detail-oriented is a good word rick brought that up last year when he wasn't playing but he was observing him in terms of practice and tremendous attention to detail i recall and in one particular interview it was when we were back in new york not for the knicks but for brooklyn and so there was a lot of new york media in the mid to early to mid part of march asking about porzingis and and that's the thing that stood out to me that what about what rick said was well you know obviously we haven't seen him play but being around him is his attention to detail uh, is very, very impressive and, and really, really important in terms of getting back to doing what he wants to do. And he's been working hard. Uh, last night on our interview, uh, on Monday, after Monday night's game, he he pointed to the work of God Sham God, who has been part of the Mavericks player development coaching staff now for several seasons, uh, really helps players, obviously, given his prowess in this particular uh, area of the game. When, when, you have a, when you have a move named after you. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be able to help people when it comes to ball handling The skills. Damaris move, actually, when I was playing youth ball was uh, to fall down. <laughs> So yeah. my dad said about me, he said, son, as soon as you learn how to walk, you learn how to fall down really well. That's so. why you're in broadcasting. <laughs> For sure. But I like that, you know, Porzingis pointing to who's helping him, what he's doing uh, from a work standpoint to, to be able to maximize his enormous talent and potential, which is the reason why the Mavs traded for him in the first place just over one year ago now. His 35-point game last week against Houston, Brian, was was the one-year anniversary of the trade. And, and then, you know, a few nights later, he, he goes off for – 38 points and 12 rebounds, two points away from his career high. And it was the best outside shooting game by far that we've seen. I mean, he tied his career high and made threes in the game against Indiana when he hit six. So it was it was not just Porzingis, but, it, but he clearly was the headliner and a really nice Maverick road win. And there's one other thing I, I want to point out, and, and I don't know how many other things you'd like to say about the game, but I thought this was a game, and it was interesting to see this and to see how my feelings developed about it. Indiana's a good three-point shooting team in terms of percentage, Brian, but they're a slower-paced team who takes the fewest threes in the league. And I thought that this was a time that the Mavericks' style and how many threes they take, as, as most people know, Dallas is taking a ton of threes this year, 41 a game, which is second in the league. Man, I thought the Mavs' three-point style and the way they play enticed Indiana into a three-point shootout game, which is not what they do well. I mean, they do shoot a good percentage, but I'm sure that's probably why, or probably a part of the reason why, is that they take threes within the natural flow of things, and they don't take threes just to take them uh, because they feel like they're playing math out there, which I think... And they don't have the horses to do that. Yeah. And in this particular game, I thought they tried to get into a little bit of a shootout with Dallas from a, we got to take threes because that's what the Mavs are doing. And I thought they took a lot of bad threes, and consequently, they shot a very poor percentage. Uh, Indiana shot 7 for 34. They were 20% on threes, and the Mavs were 18 for 45, which is 40%. So they doubled them up in percentage. And I thought that was, that was stylistically, anyway, something that really jumped out to me about the way the Mavs played. And they got the other team to play Dallas's game, and the other team, you know, quite honestly, failed pretty miserably at it. Well, it's something you also see what Houston did to the Mavs. You know, Houston is now kind of fully committing to this uh, all-small lineup where P.J. Tucker at 6'6 is their biggest player. And we saw that in the Mavs game. And it basically takes your bigs off the floor because they're 
you know, you have to get out to their open shooters and close on them or else they're going to get open looks. Mm -hmm. Now they're sacrificing rebounding and defense, but they're just going all in on, we're just going to score more than you are. Uh, and, and the Mavs had a huge rebounding advantage, but they just weren't able to, uh, make the, the looks difficult enough for Houston. What's interesting is that, and so they're, you know, they're now looking to add a wing like Covington and we'll get in the trade market, uh, and get off of Capella, who is, you know, not a three point shooter and is more of their rim running type. Uh, that's what's so special about Porzingis is that he can be that guy out at the three-point line, mm -hmm. but on the defensive end, he's the rim protector. Yeah. So what Houston's giving up is they're basically going to have no rim protection when they play that five-out lineup. Mm -hmm. The Mavericks can play five-out and still have rim protection and defense. That's what's so special about Porzingis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the dude is you know, spent most of the year in the top five in the league in block shots, to your point about rim protection. And that's just, and that's not all of it, obviously. There's a lot of defensive statistics we won't get into now that reflects what other players and other teams shoot in terms of shots in the paint and shots at the rim when Porzingis is on the floor. So that that is why Kevin Durant called him the unicorn. Uh, a lot of it, I think, was a reference to what he can do on offense, but clearly his defensive prowess adds a lot to the adds a lot to the table, puts a lot on the table for the Mavs in terms of uh, you know what the ceiling is for this thing. And I think we should kind of shoot to half court some of the, I think, knee-jerk reaction of, well, he plays better without Luka. You know, look at this. Wow. I mean, is Luca the problem? Well, Luca's obviously not the problem. They're they're figuring out how to play together to maximum effectiveness. And, you know, they basically play two different styles. When Luca's on the court, they call more plays, they play more hammer and, and high pick and roll and and work through that. Uh, and they just play a free flowing offense when he's not on the floor. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way you do it. Um, and so this free flowing offense is generating looks for everybody and, and you know, everybody gets to eat a little bit, but um, they're going to find the right mix of how that works where, uh, you know, Luca can, you know, this team has obvious crunch time issues. And part of that is I think Luca takes on too much responsibility, you know, a la Kobe, uh, where he knows he can do it. And they're, you know, as he grows and matures, there's going to be a trust factor, especially when he sees what these guys can do without him on the floor uh, to, you know, enable those guys to uh, uh, be even more effective. Yeah, I, I don't look much at anybody's numbers whenever Luke is not there other than can they help cobble together the 28 points per game that you're missing? And obviously more shots exist for Porzingis. Um, you know, Brunson has had a lot of good games, 27 points against Atlanta on Saturday night. He had a couple of double-doubles. Uh, and the game and the games that Luca missed in December. So Brunson is showing he can put up big numbers on the floor when he gets the minutes whenever Luca's out of the lineup. But uh, you know, to me, that's what I'm evaluating: is are these guys uh, able to step up and fill the void whenever you do have to uh, play without Luca, uh, be it for a certain stretch of the game or when you have to play for several games because he's injured. And you build a deep roster for these particular cases, and you have other talented players who are there to step up and do what's necessary whenever your number one guy's out. And to the Mavs' credit and to the players' credit and to Rick's and, and such, it's all worked out, for the most part, pretty well whenever Luka hasn't been playing. Uh, we also see the limits of that. I mean, they went, uh, you know, after beating Milwaukee and Philly on the road, then they had a little bit of a, a stumble until Luca came back in that stretch right before the new year. Yeah, well, they had the, yeah, they lost the, the Toronto game. 
You know, right. I mean, that was the yeah. That's that's in the the Mavs are about to see Charlotte. It's funny you mentioned mention that because the Mavs are going to see Charlotte this weekend. Uh, that that Toronto game is in a class by itself, but uh, the Charlotte game is another one when when he was back. But that's one that as we're getting ready to see the Mavs play the Hornets, that I look at as one of their sillier losses of the season. And that's right after Porzingis went out, and a few games after Luca was back, right after the right after the beginning of the year. But by and large part, um, they've done a really nice job of of keeping the thing afloat and actually really playing some impressive road games. Philly, Milwaukee, Indiana. Now they've beaten three of the top six teams in the East on the road. Uh, the Philly win looked a lot better in December without Luka than it does right now after some of their recent struggles, including just absolutely laying a huge egg Monday night in Miami. But generally speaking, yeah, there's been some some great road wins whenever Luka hasn't played this year. We're in the, the real dog days of the schedule right now. I mean, they've played a lot yeah. over the last, I think Rick said they've played, you know, either back-to-backs or every other night for the past month. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, this team is tired. They see the light at the end of the tunnel, the all-star break, and, mm-hmm. and you kind of want to get there. Uh, injuries are popping up. Seth is now has you know his issue. Uh, I talked to J.J. Bray today. That is not a serious injury, so we don't have to worry too much on his. Yeah, for those who missed, he went out in the second quarter of the game against Indiana on Monday night and didn't return with an ankle sprain. Right, but so. no big deal So on that one. Um, so you want that time to get the injuries healed. You just need the break to recharge for the last two-month sprint. Um, the good news is that you mentioned the home and away splits, which are, you know, we've talked about, I think, on the last podcast, just mind boggling. They're yeah. 14 and 12 at home, 17 and 7 on the road. Um, if we can get to some level of back to the mean on at home, you know, we're only four games out of the second spot. Mm-hmm. And so two to seven are all jumped up in there, jumbled right. up. Right. And just just getting to some semblance of respectability at home, uh, that makes a big difference when you're talking about only a four game difference there. And the the thing about the home winning games at home is look at who some of the teams that they're going to play post All-Star break or actually in one of them's pre All-Star break in terms of Utah. So I, I think about this maybe to my own detriment, but I think a lot about tiebreakers and stuff like that, because especially because the standings are jumbled up. So Houston one and one against Houston, but the other two games are going to be here March 23rd and April 7th. Utah, they're 0-1 against them, but they're only playing them three times. So two of the games happen here in Dallas. Next week, February the 10th, Utah will be here March the 26th. The last game of the regular season. I mean, I hope you're not fighting to stay out of seventh in the last game of the regular season. That means the second half of the season probably didn't go as well as we would have hoped. But they play Oklahoma City, the Mavs do in the final game of the year. They're only playing three times. They're 1-1 in the two games they played. That's a home game in the last game of the year. That could be a really important game in terms of determining a tiebreaker. Uh, They've got Denver that they've got to play twice. Once here, once up there, but tiebreaker's still in play there. So I think that's something to look look at in terms of the, the home games and needing to get better at home in the remaining third of the season now. They only have two more games this month, and there obviously is the All-Star break in there, uh, playing against teams over 500. And in the next 23 games, they only play five teams mm-hmm. with an over 500 record until March tw- thir- 21st. Wow. So the next month and change is a real time for the Mavs to make some hay and, and, and to, to make some moves, especially talking about how they can improve that home record and just taking care of the teams that they need to take care of. So on our Fox Sports Southwest broadcast, we, we had the folks at Sport Radar run something for us on the along those lines. And I think the Mavs have the fourth easiest remaining schedule of the current top eight in the West. For the rest of the season. For the remainder of the season, based on opponent winning percentage. 
So that's really good news. And, and again, we talked about this last week. I'm not crazy concerned about the seeding. You know, I'm only, uh, the Lakers are one. The Mavs are not going to drop to the eighth seed. I don't really want to face the Clippers, but we don't really know where they're going to end up because the load management, you know, they're not a shoe in for the two seed. Right. Uh, and I don't think they really care. They probably want home, but, but they, when they want, they want two or three, I probably, they probably want to avoid the Lakers in the, in the second round. But, um, I want to maybe avoid them, but again, you can't really Jimmy with that too much. Uh, but I'm not scared of, of the Rockets or, or the Jazz or Denver in the first round. I'm not either. I think, uh, you know, I told you this last week and I'll always say this, this is my standard thought on it. And that is that the long history since 1984, since it's gone to one, eight, two, seven, three, six, four, five in the first round, Eights and seven seeds, although the Mavs uh, have been one and twos to lose. But generally speaking, I mean, the odds are incredibly long that a seven or an eight seed will win a first round series. But six seeds do have at least a a chance that you can talk yourself into based on history of how many times a six seed is won and four or five seed matchups are, you know, are are darn near toss ups. So those are the seeds just based on what history tells us that if, if I can get to five or six, then the matchup leads to the potential for you know you can talk yourself into a chance to do something in the first round where uh you're looking at a real long shot if you're seven or eight at least based on history so let's get to the present uh big elephant in the room and that is the trade deadline tuesday thursday at 2 p.m yeah um there's a lot of action going around league-wide uh everybody's kind of looking for the same thing which are rangy wings who can defend and shoot uh there's not a lot uh, sexy out there. So, um, you know, what are your thoughts on what you expect to see in the next 48 hours? Well, I think there's going to be some big moves around the league, but it would surprise me, Brian, if the Mavs are involved in any of them. I mean, the assets that you look at for Dallas right now are Courtney Lee's expiring $12.7 million. The second round pick that the Mavs have, that's Golden State's pick, which right now would be the 31st pick in the draft, the first pick of the second round which is a great pick to have because it's not a guaranteed contract. So a lot of people have said many times, I mean, this is not a new thought. This is not yours, your thought or my thought. This is just general consensus. You'd rather have the 31st pick in a lot of ways than a pick between 25 and 30 because of the, it's not a guaranteed contract. Uh, and it's and, and whereas the first round picks have at least two years of guarantees. Um, they have a $9.7 million trade exception, which expires on Saturday, I believe, is the last. So, and the, and the deadline, obviously, is Thursday at 2 p.m. Central. So those are their assets. And then anything beyond that, you're talking about giving up guys who are rotation players on your team. Uh, you know, young players who are on smaller contracts, the Brunsons and Jacksons. And I don't think that uh, unless the, the offer is enticing that the Mavs are looking at anything like that. So um, around the league, yes. Things will happen. Things of note will happen uh, as they always do. And I don't think this year is going to disappoint us. From a Mavs perspective, a minor move, I think, is is certainly uh, a, a likelihood. But a major move is, is I don't, I think uh, we're not going to see that. Yeah. So let's just get some of the names out of the way. Uh, Iguodala is not going to be a Maverick. And I mm-hmm. think that, um, so Memphis is, hold, they want, they're firm in wanting a number one. Now the Mavs cannot trade a number one until 2025. Uh, obviously we talked about how valuable the Warriors pick is, but that, that isn't moving the needle. And listen, he's going to be a rental that isn't going to stay here. Mm-hmm. So I don't really see the point of giving up valuable assets for 
you know, somebody this year who's going to take minutes away from a, a young p- player who's developing when you have a long-term vision at stake. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would cross him off your list. Uh, you know, you, you see some Mavs Twitter uh, uh, buzz about Capella, and I don't see that either. Um, right. You know, he's got some money left on his deal. And, you know, you've got Powell coming back yeah. next year. And big, that, big number for Capella. And you're already paying, you know, in terms of your other bigs, Porzingis is on the max. And you have Kleba you know, and Kleba and Powell have big numbers as well. Uh, Covington, I think, would be great here. But uh, they're wanting Minnesota's wanting one, if not two number ones for him, at least at this point. Mm-hmm. And that's a deal breaker. Right. Um, and I don't think you're going to give away enough young talent uh, to make up for your lack of draft assets. Yeah. Somebody is going to give up draft assets for Covington. Whether or not it's two ones for Minnesota remains to be seen. And you're hearing the rumors will. that Houston is trying to get Capella, flip Capella to the Hawks for ones so they can give those to Minnesota. So Minnesota can give one of those to Golden State for D'Angelo Russell. Yes, that's the that's the hottest rumor. Although there are rumors now percolating that the Knicks are going to be involved in the draft mark and the, the trade market. I'm sorry because of uh, Jim Dolan firing Steve Mills, the team president, which and just so, happened uh, Tuesday. Yeah, just happened earlier in the day on Tuesday. So you know uh, there have been two days before the trade deadline <laughs> when they fired Phil Jackson six days after the draft a few years ago. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so somebody needs to get goal on a calendar. So they're going to you know I'm already seeing tweets that have been out this afternoon about you know the Knicks are engaging people about this guy and you know Morris this is guy. Now, I think yeah. one of the things we saw was that. Uh, Morse being taken off the block by Mills and Dolan was like, nope, nope, he's tradable. So he was, he's back on the block. Yes, that's that's a name that has been. And he's a defender, already. you know, more forwardish type than I think the Mavs may want. Um, but again, you know, it, it all depends on the price. the The gem in my eye would be Bogdan Bogdanovich in Sacramento, a restricted free agent. Um, but you know, they turned down an offer of Kuzma and stuff for him earlier this year. Maybe that gets revisited. Uh, Lee and the Warriors pick is not moving the needle right now for Sacramento. Now, maybe they want a one. Maybe as the deadline comes, you know, that that girl looks a little prettier. I don't know. But uh, right now, it doesn't look like we have enough. And, um, you know, do you want to throw in a young player like a Brunson or somebody like that? You know, a right, um, you know, that's debatable. And and does that even get it done? I I don't know. But I, I would be surprised if if we were able to, to bring in a big fish like that. And, and the idea that you like about Bogdanovich, and not, not to speak for you, but uh, just to clarify, he's a restricted free agent, and Sacramento has got healed on a big number, and they just re-up Barnes, and Fox is going to be due for a big number in the not-too-distant future, and then another year later after that, Bagley will be due for an extension, so somebody's going to get lost. Uh, with the money that they're going to have to shell out moving forward. And you think that's going to be Bogdanovich. And so now is the time to to offer them something so they don't lose Just him like for forcing us last year. Right. Except it doesn't look like Bogdanovich is actually forcing his way out. Right. And the way that Porzingis did. That that would be But the it's main basically difference. making your free agent move over the deadline where now that you have his restricted rights, you're very, very, very likely to sign him in the summer. Yeah. And Bogdanovich gives you a wing who is a playmaker, who's an outstanding outside shooter. Um, you know, he's not going to hurt you defensively. He's obviously not going to be a defensive stopper either. Uh, you know, maybe he's a starter. Maybe he's the lead guy in the bench units who plays starter caliber minutes if you're thinking down the road with what you're going to do with him. But but that would be the gem you're saying. If you're if you're if you're Dallas and 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 if you could that would be the major move you would want to see get done, you're saying. And it's a gem in, you know, 
in how you look at it. I mean, again, I said the, mar- the market's not that great. It's kind of like when I was in, you know, the Greek church. Right. Know, I was really hot for a Greek guy, <laughs> but you put me in Gen Pop and I really wasn't that great. I got you. That's kind of how it is with Bogdanovich. You know, you're probably overpaying if you do get him. And so that's the calculus that the Mavs are having to, to look at. And I don't want fans to get upset if they don't make a move or they make a really small move because they have a, a long time horizon here. You know, if I were to ask you if the Mavs are going to win a title in the next 10 years, you know, to a man, every person I've asked that question to immediately says yes, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. Mm -hmm. That, yeah, oh yeah, of course. Because of what you have in Luca and Porzingis and the ability to build around that. You know, the way I look at it is, you know, the the, the league now with the Warriors having taken a dip, now they'll be back to some level. Uh, in, In four or five years, you know, LeBron's out of the league. Kawhi and Paul George are getting towards the back end of their careers. Kawhi has a degenerative knee disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harden and Westbrook are pretty much done. You know, you still have Utah. And you're talking about looking ahead four, four years from yeah, now. four years yeah, from gotcha. now. Okay. And so, so it's possible that in four years, when Luka's 24 and Porzingis is 28, mm-hmm. that the Mavs could be the bell of the ball and have open runway for four or five years. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to do anything to jeopardize that right. by giving, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul and doing win-now moves. Right. You want to make smart moves and, and realize that time horizon. This is the Mavs of 2001. Think of it that way. Gotcha. Okay. When, you know, that first year when they beat Utah and went right. in the second round. And, and then you saw in 03 Western Conference Finals, you know, 06 Finals, right? You want to build this, you know, and, and keep that horizon on because – you know, they have something really special here in the core pieces. They found their stud. Mm-hmm. They found a good number two. Now you want to put the right pieces around them. They've got young players who are going to grow into that. And so let's just, you know, I know everybody wants to make a deal and wants to get that really stud player. But, um, you know, if they end up making a Snell deal or a Beasley deal or even nothing at all mm-hmm. or something into the exception, as you were mentioning, um, that's okay, and, and that can be a smart move. Yeah, and to clarify some of those names you mentioned, Tony Snell, Detroit, Malik Beasley, Denver. Denver. You know, uh, Beasley is is approaching the end of his rookie contract, which I think is why you brought him up, and his mo- rotation minutes have been spotty. Tony Snell is on $11 million this year, and I think a player option for $11 million next year. Yeah, but does fit, million, yeah. But does fit the bill for 3 and D player. Now, that kind of thing. I think that's what... Shoots uh, well, not playing much in Denver. Yeah, yeah. And if they want to get off the 12 million player option, which he'll probably pick up for next year, that's why he's on the block. Sure. Uh, Tony Snell in Detroit, you're talking about. Malik Beasley, Denver, Tony Snell in Detroit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, just for to clarify that for everybody. Do you, I, I didn't hear you, uh, pred- I, mean, I, I think a, a move, a minor move, because they're sitting there with that $9.7 million exception. I just feel like before Tuesday, before Thursday at 2 o'clock, doesn't somebody want to get off some money? And so if nothing else, you help somebody get off some money and bring in somebody who's a potential bench player. Yes, I think I think there's a possibility. So my money is on the fact that they're, you know, at best a minor move. I wouldn't expect any, I wouldn't expect somebody that's going to close games for you to, to be mm-hmm. gotten on the, in the, right. the deadline. But if you make a rotation move, somebody that will play Justin Jackson's minutes, let's say, mm-hmm. I could see that. 
for essentially no cost. I wouldn't see that for the Warriors pick. Right. Remember, they can trade that pick before the draft as well. Right. Good point. Um, Good point. So, you know, a future two down the road, sure, as some, you know, throw in along with the Lee or into your space or something like that. Basically a no risk move to take a look at a player, you know, for the rest of the year that can, you know, be your defender uh, for 12 minutes a game or something like that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but I want fans to not be disappointed if something bigger isn't done. I think they're 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 handling it the right way. Yeah, I think the smart thing to do is be cautious and be smart at this point in time because of as you said, uh, you know, you don't want to do what New Orleans did, for example, in the years that they had Anthony Davis, and that is make moves that then don't turn out well and also turn out so poorly that they compromise your ability to make other moves, and so then you end up not being able to build the kind of team that Anthony Davis wanted, and thus he forces his way out. That's an excellent point. Yeah, and now now granted, there it looks like with uh, with Griffith there, they're, they're, with Griffin there, they're able to bounce back, but... Uh, it took losing of, Anthony Davis and getting lucky in the lottery to yeah, do Yeah, sure, sure, that's true. But, but uh, yeah, I, I, I like what the Mavs are doing, and excited to you know to see what comes as we move forward here from the deadline towards the end of the season. And one thing to point out is, you know, I mentioned this last week. Cap space is not as valuable as it once was in general, and specifically for this year. Uh, this is a pretty weak free agent crop mm-hmm. in 2020. Now, there was news last week that the cap is going to drop by three million in the, from the projections that were given to teams mm-hmm. because of what happened in China. That China revenue is dropping, so. People that need to get off a few million dollars to get under the tax or under their hard cap, you know, you may even be able to sneak a two out of somebody for, you know, for the honor of taking something into your exception. Right. So that's something to look for. And those are valuable little things to have because then you can put a few of those together and go get a one and then you can trade a one at some point. Right. Right. Those Um, are more trinkets you can put on the table. And also... Um, the buyout market, I think, is going to be pretty healthy this year. So after the deadline, you have until March 1st for teams to buy their players out and get them on your playoff roster. And I right. think you will see um, a lot of that happening if trades aren't made with certain teams mm-hmm. for, for certain players. Uh, and you could see, you know, the Mavs taking a swing at, at a couple of those. Right, right. As well. Well, we look forward to that. Um, before we get to the trade deadline on Thursday, Memphis is here on Wednesday night. Now, I'm looking forward to this game. Just a couple of quick thoughts before, I mean, 33 minutes has already flown by, so I guess our our time is winding down. We only have 44 minutes here in heaven. (laughs) Our time is winding down. Um, So so Memphis is here Wednesday. Now, I'm excited about this, Brian, because Ja Morant was load-managed in the game whenever the Mavs played in Memphis in November. So this is our first chance as Mavs observers to see him in person playing against Dallas whenever they play here on Wednesday night. Uh, Morant missed that game. Porzingis set the second night of a back-to-back when that game was played back in November the 9th. The Mavs won. Luka was really good, especially third quarter. Tim Hardaway had a good game off the bench. Seth Curry had one of his better games early in the season, and the Mavs won that game. But that feels like almost a lifetime ago. Uh, You know, Morant has played so well. Uh, Rookie of the year caliber season, 17 points, seven assists a game. Memphis has won 12 of their last 15 games and jumped up to 500. They're 25 and 25 after a win Monday night over the Detroit Pistons before coming in here to play the Mavs on Wednesday night. This is the eighth seed right now on the West. Now, they have the toughest remaining schedule of the entire Western Conference based on opponent winning percentage for the rest of the year. But man, I'm excited to see Memphis come in here on Wednesday. 
it's good to be in the Falwell house because you see all his spreadsheets and, and charts on the wall <laughs> of all this data that he has in the little Falwell brain of his. Let's see. Um, but Morant is, you know, Ja is, uh, it'll be fun to watch him. Uh, good young team. A name we didn't mention, Jay Crowder, could be um, one of those players that you just kind of stick into to an exception or yeah. a trade. I'm yeah. not sure what his salary is. It's between seven and eight million dollars. There you go. As a matter of fact. Yep. So maybe give them a, a future two, not the Warriors pick, uh, to take the rest of that salary off their hands as he's probably not in their long-term plans. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have no problem with that. A guy who can shoot the three hasn't been as good as it this year, but definitely defends knows Rick in the Dallas system. Um, you know, that's one of those names you could also uh, look at here in the next 48 hours. His three point percentage this year, and it's taken a slump lately, but it's dropped just below 30% this season. Now, granted 19% over the last eight games is why it's dropped. But yeah, his number has dropped. And I do really have, Brian is seeing some of my charts and my spreadsheets here. So Morant is shooting 54%, Brian, in the last 16 games. 17 points, 7 assists, over 3 boards a game. Um, was just named Rookie of the Month for the month of January. Their coach, who has a Dallas connection, by the way, Taylor Jenkins, who went to high school at St. Mark's, um, is their first-year head coach. He was just named the Western Conference Coach of the Month for January. So I just I think there's something really intriguing uh, to see about this game against Memphis whenever they come into town here on Wednesday. And it's, it's game number 51 of the year. Now, I had something interesting I wanted to share with you, Brian, here before, before the end, because this got... I was surprised at how much uh, interaction this particular thing that I put out on Twitter. Uh, Brian is at B. Damaris. I'm at M. Followell. So last night, Brian, uh, since it's game 50 of the season, Monday night, whenever Dallas beat Indiana, and their record is 31-19 and 19 at the 50-game mark, being a play-by-play guy, I like these you know round numbers and milestones and mile, sure. uh, mile markers, whatever you want to call it, to be able to look at what's going on in the season. This uh, got a lot of response. I mean, way more than I ever thought it would. But a comparison more of the last ten years. More than your Katie Trail uh, splits that you run. Well, those get tweets. a lot. Of, uh, man, those get a lot of positive response okay. too. Man, people like that. You know, they want to hear how my my training's going in the summer. Um, last year, I, I'm not going to do all all of these seasons, Brian. Or at least I'll try to like do this as quickly as I can. 23 wins in the first 50 games last year. 16 the year before. 20 the year before that. Uh, the last time the Mavs made the playoffs in the 15-16 season, they were 27-23 and 23 through 50 games. Um, their best records in the last 10 years, the only two seasons that were better than what Dallas is this year at 31-19 and 19 through 50 games, was 33-17 and 17 in the 2014-15 season. That was the Rondo trade year. And Dallas, after going 33 and 17 through 50 games, only finished 17 and 15 the rest of the way. They barely got to 50 wins at the finish line. And then obviously the title season. They were 35 and 15 through 50 games, ended up winning 57 for the year, and obviously went on to win an NBA championship at that point. So those are the, uh, the interesting numbers uh, where we stand with the Mavs right now through 50 games. 31 and 19 to me, I mean, that's, look, that's over 60%. I mean, that's a, that's a pace that's got you in position to win in the low 50. Whether or not they maintain it remains to be seen. They're on pace for 54, 55 wins right now. Uh, 17th in defense. So they need to, I think the focus for the organization is really getting that number up. They were at 15, 14 for a while. Um, I think the focus. Took took a hit in those games that Porzingis missed for sure. The coaching staff's focus is really getting that. You know, the, the offense is still at historic levels, but they're not going to make enough noise in the playoffs until they 
get better. And that's why part of the, the trade, you know, what they're looking at in the market are, are, is another wing defender to help them there. Um, but, you know, you look at their point differential, you know, they're fourth in points differential. They're, they're below the, the Lakers and the top two teams in the East, Toronto and Milwaukee. So they're, they're getting, you know, the stats kind of look good, but because of the crunch time issues and some of the home play, mm-hmm. um, that's why when we mentioned, you know, the easy stretch, the fourth easiest schedule the rest of the year, um, there's a chance to even get better because, you know, they, the, the most they've won in the last three years is 33 games and they're at 31 now. The the stat part of the reason why the stats look good is you know they're they're boosted by winning by forty eight against Golden State and forty two I think the number was against Cleveland and forty six point win they had against New Orleans and they had three forty plus point wins by the time we reached the middle of December and that does have an impact on your stats whenever you're looking at point differential and net rating and those are two ways that people will look as predictors of what kind of team you'll be moving forward not just for the remainder of the regular season but look the vast majority of recent NBA champions not all of them but the vast majority of champions in the last 20 years I think 17 of the last 20 Brian have come from the top four in the league and net rating but the Mavs do have something kind of interesting that statistically has skewed their net rating to your point about the formula is not a number one offense and a number 17 defense the formula is a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense that's how you win championships in the NBA you don't do it as number one in offense and number 17 in defense typically speaking anyway well, so that's what, so I understand why you're saying that that if something's going to happen in the next 48 hours for the Mavs, you would want it to be trending towards how can I find a player that will help me defensively. We'll keep checking uh, our Woj bombs and Steinline tweets uh, until Thursday Shams too. As well, of course, and if something big comes down, uh, we'll we'll do a emergency pod Friday and, and you know if it's major yeah otherwise sure. we'll probably we'll get Tim Cato on the uh, Skype audio as well the three of us will all get together and break it down and uh, our next pod of you and I will be Tuesday morning dropping yep. to uh, kind of basically give you wh- where we are at the all-star break um, and review the the games for the rest of the week and then you'll be off on a well-earned vacation and we'll be back uh after that. So I'm Brian DeMarris. I'm not going to call in from Bucerias and Riviera Nayarit in Mexico for vacation. Sorry about that. throwing his vacation right in all of our faces, ladies and gentlemen. Well, it was good to talk to you and great to do the podcast again, Brian. Really enjoyed it. All right. We'll see you next time. This is 77 Minutes in Heaven.